the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. W262CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. not talking about conditions when they're perfect. He's talking about living the life as citizens of the kingdom when nobody else is, when we're to be different than everybody else. And, and that's why Jesus calls us in this sermon to live lives that are distinct from both religious hypocrites as well as secular unbelievers. That's, that's really the, the tone of this sermon. And that's why his focus throughout the Sermon on the Mount is on inner righteousness not, not merely what we do externally, but inner righteousness as opposed to mere outward behavior. If you are a dog lover, you will almost certainly be able to identify with this statement. No matter how well you train a dog, he will always be a dog at heart. You can give him a bath and even keep him inside so he won't get dirty, but you can't take away his urge to run out and roll in the dirt. My family has a young dog that we are trying to train to behave in a certain manner. We want him to learn to obey our commands, so we tell him to sit, stay, come, or to settle down. Of course, none of these commands would have any effect if we did not also offer him a treat when he responds correctly. We hope that in time he will develop a pattern of obedience. Still, we know that his obedience will be based more upon the chance of a treat or of some special attention than upon any real desire to behave the way we want. We welcome you to another broadcast of Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Steve Kreloff, pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In recent broadcasts, we began a new series entitled The Character of True Disciples. It is based upon the teaching of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. You might say that the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' way of highlighting the great difference between mere religion and a true transformation within. In a sense, religion works in just the same way as the puppy I mentioned earlier. There are many people, like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, who faithfully practice religion, but who have never been born again and received a new heart from God. They may be doing lots of good things, but they generally do them out of pride or selfish motives. As children, it might be the affirmation or attention from parents and teachers that they desire. When they are adults, they may be driven more by a desire to be esteemed by others and have others think of them as good people. But whatever the specific motivation, by and large, they are like the dog who is expecting a treat. However, God can look right through our pious actions and see whether our hearts are far from Him. So as Jesus taught the people about the ones who were truly blessed and who would inherit His kingdom, He placed tremendous emphasis upon the attitudes of the heart. He made it clear that only those whose lives have been transformed by the Spirit of God will be a part of His kingdom. 
Let's join Pastor Steve now as he speaks about the opening portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Well, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount, and I want to read to you the section of Scripture that is the first section of this sermon, though we'll not cover all of these verses today. We begin to. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 3, reading all the way to verse 11. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people shall insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Apart from the Lord's Prayer, these are probably the most familiar and certainly the most well-known statements in the Sermon on the Mount. They are known as the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes, because each of these verses begin with the word blessed. They begin with the word blessed, and the Latin word for blessed is beatus. And so, based on a translation of the Bible, it goes back to this. So they're called the Beatitudes. Now, that fact alone ought to, ought to alert you to the fact that the Sermon on the Mount is radical teaching. The fact that, that Jesus begins it by saying these are the blessed ones ought to tell you that, that his teaching in this sermon is revolutionary. It's radical. It's different. Because his opening words sound, quite frankly, absurd and even ridiculous on the surface. That's what they said. You see, these opening verses describe certain people who Jesus said are blessed of God, and yet they look nothing like what the world considers to be those who have been blessed of God. When the world thinks of those who are blessed of God, the thinking tends to be along the lines of the wealthy and the powerful and the people who are with it and the sharp people, the people who have a lot. But Jesus, I, I call your attention to the fact, Jesus singled out the poor in spirit as those whom God has blessed. He called those who mourn as blessed. He recognized the gentle and the persecuted ones as those God has bestowed his blessings upon. In fact, every one of Christ's pronouncements of blessing describes people that the world would consider just the opposite, deprived of God's blessing. Deprived. In trying to explain, to explain how, how strange the Beatitudes sound, someone has said this, it's as if Jesus crept into the display window of life and changed all the price tags. It, it, it just looks backwards. And that is how it looks. But it's really not backwards. Not if you understand the message of the Beatitudes and especially the message of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, as you'll recall, a few weeks ago, we began to get into the sermon, and we, we explained at that point that the basic theme, the basic message, the basic purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to present to us kingdom living, here and now, not, not in the future, which there will be a future aspect of the kingdom, but, but it's about kingdom living now in the sense of, of how we conduct ourselves as citizens of God's kingdom while still living in a fallen, sinful world. It's not talking about conditions when they're perfect. He's talking about living the life as citizens of the kingdom when nobody else is. 
when we're to be different than everybody else. And, and that's why Jesus calls us in this sermon to live lives that are distinct from both religious hypocrites as well as secular unbelievers. That's, that's really the, the tone of this sermon. And that's why his focus throughout the Sermon on the Mount is on inner righteousness. Not, not merely what we do externally, but inner righteousness as opposed to mere outward behavior. That's why he addresses holiness in terms of, of what we do. And not only what we do, but why we do what we do. Inner attitudes, intentions, reasons uh, for doing what we do. Uh, inner thought life. For example, in chapter 5, verse 20, he said, I, I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the nation, and they obeyed the outward form of all the laws. They strictly kept the Sabbath. They strictly kept the, the Jewish codes. They strictly, strictly kept all of the, the commandments in terms of outward feasts and festivals and things of, of that nature. But Jesus said, you better have better righteousness than that. It needs to be internal, not just out, outward. He said in chapter 6, verse 1, he said, beware of practicing your righteousness before men in order to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. He's talking about what you do, do inwardly. Do inwardly in order to please God, not to impress people with your pious religiosity. And that's why, for example, you read in this sermon such things as Jesus saying, not only do I tell you to refrain from physical murder, but I tell you to refrain from hating people because to God that is murder. It's the same attitude. He says, not only do I tell you not to commit physical adultery, but I'm telling you to refrain from mental adultery and lust. See, that's what the sermon is about. It's about inward godliness as opposed to just mere external performance, being distinct from religious people who are hypocritical, as well as secular people who don't really care anything about God or very little. But before telling us how citizens of the kingdom are to behave, notice this, Jesus opens the Sermon on the Mount by describing, watch this, the true inward character qualities of those who follow the Lord. That's what, that's what the Beatitudes deal with. The Beatitudes, the essential makeup of the Beatitudes is that they're, they're talking about what we are in our inner core being. If you notice, there are no commands, no prohibitions in the Beatitudes. Jesus doesn't tell us to do anything. He doesn't tell us to refrain from anything. It's very different from the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, which is a lot concerning commands and prohibitions. What he's doing in the Beatitudes is telling us this is what Genuine followers of Christ are like, because this is how God, through the new birth, has changed us. He's changed us. He's, in the briefest of words, these statements profoundly reveal what true believers are really like on their innermost being, in their inside, their inner core. In other words, if you could take an x-ray of a true believer in Christ, this is what he or she would look like on the inside. Because this is precisely what God sees when he looks at us. This doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin. But it does mean that this is your, your new nature. This is the basic character quality that you have. This is the, the result of the transformed character that God has done as a work of grace in your heart. So when God looks at us, he sees those who are poor in spirit. He sees those who mourn over their sin, those who are gentle, those who, who do hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for righteousness. 
He doesn't see this perfectly developed in all of our behavior, but he does see that this is our character makeup, that we've been transformed. These character qualities are present in us because God has done the work of regeneration in our hearts at the new birth. They are not natural qualities. Nobody is born like this. Nobody acquires these things through self-improvement. It can't be done. These are spiritual qualities as a result of God's work of grace in our lives. Now, as I said, this doesn't mean that we always manifest these qualities in, in a perfect way like we should, because we still battle with sin, and we live in a fallen world, and we're tempted by Satan. But it does mean that all Christians, and note this, not simply an elite class of believers, committed believers, possess these character qualities, and they will and must manifest themselves to one degree or another in your life, or else you are not a true believer. If this doesn't doesn't remotely resemble you, then you're not a true believer. You you have been self-deceived. You have been self-deceived. This is not um, a message for those who are, are, are so committed that they would go to the mission field. This is not a message for those who are full-time in the Lord's service. This is a message. The Beatitudes are for all of us, anyone who knows Jesus Christ. And so... It's because he has changed our hearts and given us new character that we are capable by his grace of obeying the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. That's where this fits in. First, he explains character, and that, in other words, that we become new creatures in Christ. And then he tells us how we are to behave since we are new creatures in Christ. Because we become new, then we are to live a new kind of a life. But the critical question that each of us face as, as we go through this are, is this, are we new creatures in Christ? Have we really come to know the Lord? Have we ever really been transformed in our character? It is so easy in the American church today to simply be led in a prayer of salvation, say the right words, walk an aisle, sign a card, go forward in a crusade, and think that you're saved, and yet there's been no work of grace in our lives. That's the tragedy. And after all, Jesus in this very sermon mentioned people who had had been deceived, self-deceived, willfully self-deceived into thinking that they were citizens of the kingdom when they were not. I remind you in chapter 7, Jesus addresses this beginning in verse 21. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So not everyone who professes to know him, who even calls upon him, Jesus said, will enter God's kingdom. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. What is the will of his Father? It's called the Sermon on the Mount, the essential will of God. And then he said in verse 22, many will say to me on that day, and that's a, that's a frightening thought, a terrorizing thought. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, we cast out demons. And in your name, we perform miracles. These are people who, who weren't even on the sidelines. They were active. They were preaching. They were involved in some type of, of supernatural service. And yet Jesus said that I will declare to them, depart from me. I never knew you, those of you who practice lawlessness. See, their whole lives were characterized by lawlessness. There was no obedience, just an outward show. It's a performance. So we want to be careful. We want to be careful that we're not in that crowd. We're not in that crowd. So how can we know where we stand with Christ? Well, as we go through each of the Beatitudes, we're going to see that Jesus identifies the specific inner qualities 
that make up true disciples. If these qualities are a reality to some degree in your life, then you are a true follower of Christ. You are a blessed one, as his sermon says. But if not, then you need to reevaluate your life and then ultimately repent and come to Christ for salvation. Now, the first character quality that Jesus said that that all true believers have is that they are, as he said in verse three, they're poor in spirit. And before we look at this verse, and we're going we're gonna to tear it apart and analyze it and apply it and, and deal with it, I want you to see that each beatitude has a certain structure. In fact, they're all structured the same way. They, each beatitude has three components, three features. The first feature is that each beatitude begins with a statement of blessing. That's where they get the name. Blessed are the. That's how it starts. Each one, blessed. Secondly, Jesus identifies the one who is being blessed or the one who has been blessed. He calls them the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the peacemakers, etc. So the first feature is that they are blessed. The second is he identifies who those have, uh, who those are who have been blessed. And the third feature is that each beatitude then closes by revealing a specific result of being blessed of God. For example, theirs is the kingdom of heaven or they shall inherit the earth, or they shall be called sons of God. That's a result of being blessed. And and in one sense, it's a form of the very blessing they have. So with that in mind, let's begin to look at the first beatitude, which is blessed are the poor in spirit. And I think a helpful thing to do is to, uh, using these three features, let's ask three questions this morning based on the structure of this first beatitude. The first question that helps us to understand this beatitude is, number one, what did Jesus mean by the term blessed? By the term blessed. He said in verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, as you can see, the very first word of the Sermon on the Mount, not just of the beatitudes, is the word blessed. And it's it's one of those words, it, it is the same word that Jesus repeats eight more times as he drives home the message of the Beatitudes. Obviously, a significant word. So what what does it mean? This word really sets the tone for the rest of the Beatitudes. It's it's very important and, and really what's to follow. So it's critical that we understand what did Jesus mean by the word blessed? Well, a very popular view held by a number of people. In fact, I think it's in some translations It says that this Greek word that is translated in most of our Bibles as blessed, some say it should be translated as happy. And those who translate it this way would interpret the Beatitudes as God's formula for being a happy person. In other words, if you really want to have a healthy mental outlook on life, if you really want true happiness as opposed to the fake happiness that the world has to offer, then this is what needs to be true in your life. There may be an element of truth to that, but I think it misses the main point. I think it misses the main point because happiness, as we define happiness, is so subjective. It's an emotional state of being based on how you feel at the moment. You may feel very good today because you got some great gifts yesterday. You may feel very bad because you gave away more than you got. And, you know, happiness is, is very fleeting. Happiness is subjective. It's based on what is happening to you at the moment. But in calling citizens of the kingdom blessed, Jesus was not telling us how we felt. I'm not talking about that at all. He was declaring what God thinks of us, not how we feel. In other words, by telling us that we're blessed, Jesus isn't stating how we feel, but rather what we are, what we are. You could feel lousy and still be blessed. You could have no feelings or negative feelings and still be 
blessed of God in the sense of how Jesus was using this word. So how was he using this word? Well, perhaps the best way to explain the concept of blessed is to say that it really means approval. It's God's approval. It's God's approval. When Jesus states that the person who possesses these character qualities is blessed, he is simply making an assessment. Jesus is simply making an assessment and his assessment, his assessment of these people is approval. It's approval. By calling them blessed, he is saying that God approves of them. In other words, Jesus is telling us that God's assessment of them is approval because they and they alone are in a right relationship with him. That's what he means. Let me me put it as plainly as I can. By saying that God has blessed them, he is saying that they have his smile of approval. His smile of approval. And the reason that, that believers have his smile of approval is because God smiles upon his perfect holy son. And since we have a relationship with his perfect holy son, then he smiles upon us. That's, that's essentially the thought here. That's why you read in the Old Testament, those who have a right relationship with him are often called and designated as the blessed ones. For example, in Psalm 1, the psalmist said, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And he speaks about his delight being in the word of the Lord. This one is blessed This one has God's approval because he meditates on the word of God day and night. In Psalm 32, very wonderful Psalm, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist said, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. He's saying those who who God has forgiven have his approval upon them. That's why they are blessed. In Psalm 144, verse 15, we read, How blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Those who know him, who have a relationship, are the blessed ones. You also see this, by the way, in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 1, the the very Christmas story, we're, we're told about how the angel Gabriel said to Mary, Hail favored one, and explained to her that she would bear Emmanuel, God with us. And then Mary exalts the Lord in chapter 1, verse 46. Mary said, now my my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regarded for the humble state of his, he, he has had regard rather for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, generations will count me blessed. She was blessed in a, in a unique way. God smiled upon her. She was in right relationship with him and his favor was upon her. He smiled upon her and she was blessed. Now this concept of bless is an important one for us to grasp. If you understand it in the sense of approval, as as I believe it should be, then you understand that the most important thing in life is to have God's smile upon your life, his approval. Not the approval of family, Not the approval of friends or business associates, as much as we might like that. That's not what we work for. If you have that, fine. But that's not what you work for. In fact, if you live to get the approval of others, you will probably not have God's approval on your life because his approval comes by being in right relationship with him. And that often brings the disapproval of others as you have to take stands and not compromise the truth of Scripture. In fact, not only disapproval, it often brings outright persecution. So our goal is to please him. That's our goal in life and to have his approval. 
So what did Jesus mean by emphasizing blessed in in the Beatitudes? He meant that those who possess the character qualities he mentions in each of the Beatitudes has God's approval. God's approval. Why? Because they are the ones and the only ones in right relationship with him as citizens of his kingdom. While some people may not admit it, the desire for approval from others runs very deep in all of us. And while approval from others may be enjoyable, the approval of God is greater beyond compare. Only God's approval can give us real pardon for our souls and intimacy with our Creator. It is the people who have experienced this life-changing favor from God whom Jesus calls blessed. Pastor Steve will have a lot more to say about the Beatitudes as well as the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in our upcoming broadcasts. We would encourage you to tune in regularly at this same time as we examine the characteristics of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. In fact, you may have a friend who would also benefit from this study, so why not invite them to listen as well? Our website provides a way for them to listen to previous broadcasts that they may have missed. The web address is versebyverseradio.org. Finally, we want to say a word of thanks to those of you who have helped to support this radio ministry through your prayers and financial gifts. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry, and we could not continue to provide these insightful studies without your generous partnership, so we say thank you. And if you have never given financially to Verse by Verse, but you are interested in doing so, please call us to find out how you can help. The number is 727 239-0303. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.